Good morning, Crossview Rosa Parks. <laughs> I'm Pastor Libby Inglehorn. Thank you for letting me be here. It feels good to be here. Well, you may know we've been in this series, Brian just mentioned it, series on the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we finished chapter 5 in the book of Matthew, which happened to be about how to love your neighbor or how to love people who think differently than you. Did anyone this past week have to put that into practice? <laughs> and we may continue to get opportunities to put that into practice, right? We practice what we preach, amen? <laughs> we did not plan for that sermon to fall on election week, but apparently God did. And this week we continue on to Matthew chapter 6, and I trust that God will also have something applicable for us in this section of Scripture because we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and training up in righteousness. Amen? So I trust that God has something for us today. So as we begin, why don't we ask God to illuminate this passage for us? Let's pray. Father God, you are so good that you love your people so much that you gave us the Bible, and you give us your Holy Spirit, and you give us our intellect and, and the ability to understand to the best of our ability. So Father, will you teach us today? Will you give your people something to encourage us and challenge us? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray this. Amen. Well, if I had my wish, I would be sitting across from you at a table not this far away, and we would have our Bibles open in front of us to Matthew chapter 6. We would have a hot tea. We would have our highlighters and our pens in hand. I would remind us that the context matters. Who is speaking and who is the audience? This may have been Jesus's most important speech that he ever gave. He's standing on a hillside, using it as a natural amphitheater so he could speak to thousands. He is speaking directly to his disciples and to the rest of the crowd. In this crowd, there are religious Jews and curious bystanders from all walks of life. The people that Jesus is speaking to would probably have been shocked at what he was saying. Repeatedly, Jesus uses a phrase, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. You see, the people he was speaking to were religious Jews that knew how to follow the rules. They knew how to appear righteous. They were doing all the right things. But Jesus says, keep doing those right things. Do them in a new way. He knew the religious Jews would continue doing these acts of righteousness. He's not throwing out the whole law. He's not saying, stop doing all those good things you were doing. No, he's not throwing out the law. He's saying, keep doing those acts of righteousness, but in a new way. You see, we can be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. So Jesus is calling out some of the ways they had been taught and contrasting it to his new way of teaching. For example, the people he's speaking to, they knew how to follow the rules, and there was a strict retributionary system in place. 
So they heard things like, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus said, turn the other cheek, give them your cloak, and go the extra mile. Jesus was not throwing out the laws, but he was saying, do them in a new way. If I were to summarize Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, I would say it all boils down to the kingdom of God calls us to humility. The kingdom of God calls us to humility. I'd say put that in your notes. So I wonder if you can recall a time that you have observed an act of humility. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? I also wonder if you can recall a time you've observed its opposite, arrogance, maybe even more common. You know, my kids are big now, and they kind of know what's what. So if they turn on the TV and they see a politician claiming superiority over every other candidate, it looks like arrogance. Or if a Hollywood celebrity steps up to receive a award with a grandiose speech of how much they deserve it because of their immense talents, it looks like arrogance. Or a sports star following a big win makes sure everybody knows, I'm the greatest of all time, right? It looks like arrogance. And these are our cultural icons, our heroes, our leaders. Arrogance is acceptable, but the kingdom of God calls us to humility. <clears throat> Our culture also tends to elevate particular gifts over others. Maybe you've noticed this, right? So I happen to be standing on a stage. The role I'm playing right now is not more important than the people who set up the chairs are running the sound, or caring for children in the nursery. Amen? The kingdom of God, this Bible, shows us that the entire body of Christ, the hand, the ear, the eyes, the nose, all the parts of the body are essential for the kingdom of God flourishing. All of our roles are equally important. And our culture, it doesn't always look that way. You know, we tend to elevate or praise or applaud people who are extroverts, who are overly confident, or who have particular skill set. That is not true in the kingdom of God. Well, I was going to say, when we read Matthew 6, 1 through 6, Jesus is going to show us that the applause of people isn't the goal anyhow. Actually, it's something we probably want to avoid. The applause of people is not the goal. Humility is. So we're going to read Matthew 6, 1 through 6 together. It will be on the screen. Let me read it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. All right. So what, is, what are the first two words? Look back at verse 1. Be careful. It's a warning, okay? So we're going to pay attention. Then I notice that Jesus is speaking to people who, he, so he doesn't say, if you choose to give to the needy, if you choose to pray, if you choose to fast, that's further down in verse 16. He says, when you do these things. So continue to do them, right? So when you do these things, do them in this way. Now, another Bible study tool you probably already know is you're going to look for repetition, right? So if you had your highlighter in hand and you're looking at this passage, which verses would you highlight that are repeated? Which words or phrases are repeated? Look back. Do you see anything that's said more than once? Okay. I see the word reward five times. Ding, 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 Jesus might be trying to make a point, okay? I see the word reward five times. I see the word hypocrite twice. Secret three times. The phrase, when you give to the needy, is twice. I tell you the truth, twice. And to be seen by others, three times. This is only six verses, and there's a lot of repetition. This is a tool Jesus uses to get a message across. All right, so that first word we see repeated, reward. What is Jesus trying to say? The people of that time did their acts of righteousness in public to be seen, all right? The motive is to be seen. So they're looking for the applause of people. Wow, good job. Did you see that? Wow, ooh, look at him. His offering's so big. Let's blow the trumpets. They make a really big deal when they're doing their acts of service. Jesus is saying, if you are doing it for the applause of people, you have already been paid in full. That was your reward. God is not going to additionally reward you. But if you do it for God, if you're doing it to please God, he will reward you. The second word I see repeated, hypocrite. Now, originally this word referred to play actors who were on a stage in the Greek and Roman theater. They were actors. Hypocrite was a word they used for these actors, okay? So in ancient drama, the people did not wear makeup on their face. They wore masks. And no, we're not making any mask jokes. But the actors wore masks to pretend to be someone or something they weren't. Jesus is saying, you are a bunch of hypocrites. You are spiritual play actors 
if you wear a mask and pretend to be holy for other people. He is calling those people hypocrites. You may have heard the criticism that the church is full of hypocrites. And maybe it's true. We are a bunch of imperfect people, aren't we? And I myself need to check my motives at all times. Am I doing this for someone else? To be seen by someone else so they have an opinion of me? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Just to check my motives. Another word I see repeated here is secret. What do you think he means about secret? Well, the reason I think Jesus says, do some of your acts of righteousness in secret is because that would have like blown their mind. You know, like, what? We're supposed to just pray in private? You know, like, we're supposed to just give our offering without letting people know how much we gave? That would have been really different for them. I think Jesus is contrasting what they were familiar with doing of like, what if you just did that in private? What if you just did it for God? I don't think Jesus is saying that's all we should do, that we should only do things in private. Because we just prayed in public, right? There are times that it's appropriate to do something in public. We want to promote the church, right? We want to advertise, come to Rosa Parks and be part of this community, learn about Jesus. Or this great, there's a great opportunity to serve in our community. Let's go serve together. There's appropriate times where we're sh showing in public what we're doing, right? But what Jesus is challenging them with is what if you didn't have to do it all in public? I look back at Matthew 5, verse 15. Now, you are, if you were in church, you might have already read this verse. 5, 15 says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, and then glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know the little kid's song, This is the light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We're not supposed to hide our light as if we're ashamed of it, we're supposed to show it so that God gets the glory, right? So again, it's all about motive. Why are we shining our light? Not for ourselves. It's not, we're not putting ourselves on the pedestal. We're shining our light so God gets glory. So again, it's all about motivation. He's challenging them to do some in private just because it's so contrary to what they were doing. And we can consider that too. What in our Christian life could we be doing in private just as an act of discipline giving generosity whatever it is we could do some of it in private as an act of obedience to God and not telling any, anyone we did it well what does humility look like I have been to many funerals where as I watched the family and participated in the funeral, in the middle of their grief, they were so overwhelmed with the gift of stories, hearing what their loved one had done for people that they didn't even know about. Stories of generosity and character that they didn't know until that person had passed. And at the funeral, they were discovering all these acts of righteousness that had been done in private. I remember one such funeral where I was sitting around with all the adult grandchildren, and they were telling stories about grandpa. And one adult grandchild said, well, you guys, I've never told you the story, but 
When I was in high school, Grandpa helped me buy my first car. And then another adult grandchild said, you're kidding. Well, I never told you guys this story. But when I was in college and I was struggling, Grandpa came to visit me. And in order to encourage me, he paid for my semester of college. Well, then I never told you my story. When my wife and I got married, he came and he helped us put a down payment on our house. And round and round the stories went. Grandpa was a quiet and generous man who made a, a secret gift at the right time with no fanfare, right? And they got to share those stories of how Grandpa had blessed them. Another funeral I did recently was for Otis Olson. He was our oldest member at Crossview. He passed away in September. I only knew him these past six years when he was suffering from Alzheimer's dementia. I never knew him as a vibrant, healthy man. But I've been told that all the roles that Otis played at the Covenant Church in our old building, as a church chair and all these leadership roles, he was just an unassuming, quiet, humble man. And Otis, in his shirt pocket, carried around little note cards with a sharpened pencil at all times. And Otis would walk around the church, and he might overhear someone complain about the leaky faucet in the basement bathroom. He would take his note card down out and jot it down, put it back. And then he might hear a complaint about, you know, the chipped tile that someone might trip over, and he'd jot it down and put it back. And the light bulb in the closet that burnt out, and he'd jot it down. And, and everyone would go home, and he would go back at night with his church keys, and everything would get fixed. No one even knew Otis was doing it. He just was, he just did what God had, you know, he gave him the gifts, God gave him the gifts, he used his gifts so that the church could flourish and God could be glorified. He didn't need any credit, so he went in after hours and did it. Otis, in fact, took the IQ test, and he was a genius, can't relate, but he was a genius, and he invented and built so many things. Like, I can't wrap my mind around it. He invented these giant doors, like imagine your garage door, but giant, that are currently being used at airports all over the world. Airports, these giant, you know, airplane hangar doors. And some of his doors are currently being used at NASA. No big deal. You know, he just invented these doors. And he would never have told a soul what he did. Just this humble, quiet, servant man. I heard a sermon once by a pastor. And this pastor had to give a sermon on a challenging topic. And he prefaced it by saying, I fear God more than I fear you. I want to please God more than I want to please you. And what I'm about to say might not be popular, but I'm going to be obedient to God. And I just really appreciate what that pastor said is, what we, what we do and what we say is not always popular, but ultimately, this is divine approval we're going for, right? Divine approval, not the approval of people. A few years ago, there was a large breakfast at the Orlando Centroplex where they announced all these different awards, but one I remember was for the most notable young leader of the year. The most notable young leader. So they announced the young man's name. He came up to the stage. He graciously took the award and said, thank you. And then he announced that he was stepping out of leadership because his ego was getting in the way of his relationship with God. 
that's a notable young leader <laughs> stepping out of leadership to get right with the Lord. Other people might have looked at it and said, that's like downward mobility. He's ruining his whole career trajectory, right? But ultimately, he, he, it mattered more his relationship with God than what anyone else thought of him. So a question we can ask ourselves as we do our works, our acts of righteousness, if no one ever found out, would it diminish the experience? Why do we feel like we need everyone to know what we're doing all the time? You know, the concept now is if it's not on social media, it didn't happen. If you didn't take a picture of it, it didn't happen. And if you're my age or older, like, our childhood was not like that, right? So I had four younger siblings. They were a little more wild than I was. But we did crazy things. We jumped off bridges into rivers. We built a half pipe for our rollerblades. We rigged up all these trampolines on the side of the pool. They climbed mountains. They biked across the U.S. We competed in all sports. And there's, like, no record of it. Like, it didn't happen, you know? We, I mean, unless somebody somewhere had an old big camcorder with a VHS, but that, who knows if that survived, right? I mean, I'm ancient. There's no record of our childhood, but... The funny thing is, is today there's so much pressure to let people know what you're doing. For better or for worse, right? Sometimes it's really fun to know what people are doing, and sometimes it's unhealthy. I don't know why I feel the need to have someone pat me on the back for something I've done. You know, maybe it's my insecurity. Maybe I'm trying to prove to myself or to someone else that I'm worthwhile, that I'm doing something valuable, that I'm earning my place. Theologically, I don't even believe in that, right? I can't earn my place. Salvation is a free gift. It's not because of our works so no one can boast. That's in the Bible, right? So we are made right through Christ, not because of our works. When Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. It can be translated, fortunate are those who realize their own spiritual bankruptcy and their total dependence on God. Blessed are the humble and not arrogant. Finally, I'll make a connection to our own church roots. And some of you are newer to the covenant, and this is like, I don't know what you're talking about. But the Evangelical Covenant Church has our roots in the Swedish Lutheran Church. And during those years, like the 1700s over in Sweden, the Lutheran Church was like a state church, top down. You were Lutheran from the moment you were born to the moment you died. No choice. Everyone was Lutheran. The rules were strict. Everyone followed the rules. But some people wanted more. A group of people desired more than just following the rules, right? It sounds a little like the audience Jesus was speaking to, following the rules. And Jesus says there's something more. So this group of people, they called for inward spiritual renewal, the work of the Holy Spirit, that the acts of righteousness they were doing would be an overflow out of their heart because they loved God. That, at that time and place, was revolutionary. People called them pietists. And if you look at the word pietist in the dictionary, 
it has a bunch of synonyms. And you know, words have all these different connotations. They stir up different emotions. So I don't know what you'll think, but the word pietism, the synonyms for it are devotion, holiness, godliness, saintliness, reverence, faith, spirituality, sacredness, fervor. To those early covenanters, those words would have been refreshing. They left Sweden with those ideals and they started what today we are, the Covenant Church, in 1885 in Chicago. Today, if you sat at your computer and typed into Wikipedia, the Evangelical Covenant Church, Wikipedia calls us, a radical, pietistic movement. I really love that. Just a few weeks ago, someone said to me, you're so religious. They didn't mean it as a compliment, and I didn't take it as a compliment because I want more than religion. I want a relationship, amen? We want a life that is consistent and genuine and attempting to be more and more like Jesus. I want a relationship with Jesus more than religion. Jesus is showing us that today in Matthew 6, 1 through 6. We should keep doing those acts of righteousness, keep giving to the poor, keep praying, keep doing all these things, but do them out of reverence and love for God. I don't want anything I do to look like arrogance because the kingdom of God calls us to humility. Why don't we close in prayer? Father God, thank you for Jesus, for the Sermon on the Mount that was radical back then and still is radical today, that we should not do things for appearance sake only. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want to have genuine relationship with you and that our actions would come out of an overflow of our heart that we love you so much, God. Would you show us how to do this this week? It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.